Deuteronomy chapter 11, I'll read the book in its entirety. I've made this point again, or I've made this point before and I'll make it again this evening. The Bible is full of repetition. Um, and this is not because God forgot what he said in the last chapter. Parents, you tend to do this as you get older, you repeat yourself, and your kids go, we know. Um, sometimes repetition is didactic in nature. It's a teaching tactic because we need to have things repeated for us. Perhaps, parents, you've given a set of instructions to your children only to have them do it wrong from the beginning. And so you have to say, all right, look at me and listen, and I want you to repeat. After I've said it, I want you to repeat back to me what I've asked. Um, this is what we are to do even with Holy Scripture. The Scripture says, hide, or I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. There is a contemplation that results not necessarily in rote memorization, but uh, an overall sense and awareness of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. I want you to have that. I want you to be able to leave Reformation OPC, either in death or maybe your job or for whatever reason you may leave, and to walk away from Reformation and say, at the very least, what I got was an overall sense of what God is doing in his word, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our mission as elders is to bring the whole counsel of God to bear on every part of your life. So don't leave any hidden parts. And we understand why here in Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'll read beginning in verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt and to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with the households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers and to give and and to give to them and to your offspring a land flowing with milk and honey for the land that you are entering to take possession of it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments 
that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass to your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. The land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children taking of them, talking of them. When you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all of these nations before you. And you will dispossess nations greater, greater and mightier than you. Every place upon which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread. As he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan west of the road toward the going out of the sun in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal beside the oak of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, Speak to us tonight. We wish to be like Mary, who leaned upon you, ears trained upon the words that you have that bring life and help and peace. And so speak, for your servants this evening are listening, we pray in your name. Amen. It would be easy to get a bit confused. If you were moving through the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, And if you were to arrive at the conclusion that God is concerned with works as a means of attaining righteousness, this would be a poor reading of the scriptures and in fact would absolutely negate the whole purpose of the law related to sacrifice. In order for Israel to keep covenant with God, two things are required. To approach God with the awareness that we are sinners and the only way in which we are able to draw near to him is through the blood of sacrifice. 
that we draw near to God through atonement. And as his covenant people, drawing near to him by atonement, we endeavor to live for him according to the law that he has given. An element of seeking salvation by grace, but also endeavoring to walk in newness of life, seeking to establish the kingdom of the church over all the earth. And so throughout the Old Testament, we have both. We have law and we have gospel. And they are not played against one another. They are seen as two sides of the same revelation of God bringing about the work of his kingdom on earth. The law, what God requires of you. The gospel, what God offers as those who are lawbreakers. And we are to be those who seek God's revelation in both. We seek the altar of forgiveness and we seek the tablets that are the law. As Moses is writing to the second generation, he is saying to them, all of this is yours. This is your covenant. This is your legacy. These things happen to you. And though the generation that is to come, the third generation, after that generation that is about to enter into the land of promise, the second generation, they were with the first generation. Not in body. This Israel was led out of Egypt. But theirs is the Passover. Theirs is the Exodus. And so when you read the history of the people of God, do not for one minute reject that history either out of theological liberalism because some fancy European degree holder says, you know what, I don't believe those things ever happened. Who are they to say? Who are they to say? These critics. Do you know why they say that? Because if it's true, then they must repent. They reject the history of God among God's people out of idolatry, not out of academic prowess and conviction. This is our history. It is a living history. And it is a history that is ours by covenant. And so we say Abraham is our father, Isaac and Jacob are our fathers, and all of this is our story. So I think what Kelvin and I are going to do when we get on our website uh, where it says the history of Reformation OPC, we've got a lot of work to do because we need to go way farther back. We've got a lot of work to do to summarize all the things that have come before. We've got to go through the Reformation. We've got to go through all of these things that have led up until now. Uh, there is this fascination now even with um, pursuing family trees. And there's this powerful software that you are told you need to buy in order to go back and look at where you came from. Or you can go get one of these DNA tests and it'll tell you uh, what your blood is comprised of, this sort of uh, ethnic background you have. I know directly I'm German and I'm English, which means I'm temperamental and frumpy all at the same time. I, I guess I can't avoid it. That history is important. That history is important. And all of that history culminates into these things. There's two of them. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. So when you hear your pastor say, do these things, I don't want you to think for a moment, I'm giving the context of seeking to fulfill the law of God as removed from the gospel. 
that somehow I'm saying to you, do this so that you might merit God's favor. That is not what I'm telling you. So don't think for a minute that when your pastor does application like, these are the things that you need to do that we are forgetting what God has provided. Nor ought you to think of God's provision as a license to stop doing the things that God demands. These things go together. And the way they go together is by meditating upon God's past acts of deliverance. By meditating upon God's past acts of deliverance. And that's what I want to do tonight. The first point, seeing what our parents saw. Seeing what our parents saw. And then secondly, just two points, keeping the covenant our parents had. Keeping the covenant our parents had. Let's look at the first point. 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 Woo! Man, this has been a rough day in terms of fumbling my words. The first point, seeing what our parents saw. What did our parents see? Well, think about it for a minute. Parents, you say, you, you talk this way to your children. Maybe your children want a story from your childhood. And maybe you have some of those stories. And what do you always do? You really focus on the details that bring out the substance and the uniqueness of that story. And so the second generation of the Israelites born in the wilderness in those 40 years would have heard their parents say, you should have seen what it was like to walk across the Red Sea like you would walk through these, this aisle and on either side of this dry ground, how the dry, ground was dry, we do not know. It was a miracle. And these walls of water, and we could see all these fish swimming by going, why can't I keep going like the walls of an aquarium? They wouldn't have known what an aquarium is, obviously. I'm also adding these stories, these incredible stories of God's provision, how one day they woke up and all of a sudden there was this amazing bread on the ground. But then we got bored of the bread. We got, we got to complaining. This is also part of the story you tell, right? Not just the good times, but when you blew it. And how their parents said to them while they were dying in the wilderness, don't make the mistake I made. Don't get to the Jordan and then run away afraid. Parents, have you ever shared those stories? Warnings. This is Moses, the father the human father of Israel, the one who has carried them through the wilderness, and he has seen it all. And he's saying, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, Consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, and then from three to seven, all of the things that they actually didn't see, but they did see them because they're part of the covenant family of God. Because they are the children of God. Because they heard the stories. This is what Paul says in his epistles where he speaks of the Thessalonians as those who saw Christ crucified. How? They weren't there. 
because through the preaching of God's word, it was so vivid in their minds and in their hearts, it was as though they were there. These second-generation Israelites were not there, but they knew the stories. They knew it because they were told time and time again, as God had commanded, tell these things. And the richness of those stories flooded their mind's eye, and it is as though they were there. These are the stories we should tell our children. These are the stories that every generation should be telling. And children, you who are here today, who will one day have children who are not here yet, these are the stories that you should tell. And you should tell them over and over and over again. Because when you tell stories over and over again, that's when the themes develop, isn't it? You see those well-worn paths like a cart that travels through the woods. You know the path. You see where you need to go and what are those themes. Man is wretched and rebellious and we complain a lot. But God is patient, we need a mediator, and he is willing to save us. That is why these stories need to become our stories. It is the covenantal nature of revelation and therefore expectation. God expresses his expectation upon your life through those stories. You learn what you need to become by these stories. You learn what you need to do in response to God's saving grace by hearing it over and over and over again. And what's beautiful about this is that it is a story that is true. It isn't pure myth. They are epics that are wholly true. And so in response to God's, uh, God's deliverance, we see a therefore in verse 8. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them to, to them and to their offspring. You are to look and to see. You are to therefore keep the whole commandment. Now there is this recurring theme that we are to look at, that we are to behold, that we are to observe, that we are to take care of the things that God has done. In Deuteronomy 3.21, God says, I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Deuteronomy 4, your eyes have seen what the Lord your God did at Baal Peor. Deuteronomy 4.9, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that you have seen. And then in chapter 4 again, remember I preached a sermon on this. Look and see, look and see, look and see. Why? Because those with no faith are blind. This is why Christ came and opened the eyes of the blind. And here again in Deuteronomy 10, he is your praise, he is your God. This was last week, who has done for you, these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. In fact, if you want a good exercise between morning and evening worship, this is what I would like you to do. Go home, get a legal pad or a notepad, and write down all of the things that you have seen God do in your life and the life of your family. 
that are clear instances of his mercy and grace, beginning with your conversion. Actually, begin with your birth. I know you don't remember that day. Somebody saw you that day. <laughs> As your eyes were learning to focus in God's sovereign care and how you have been preserved to this day. And for what reason? To indulge in the things of this earth? To act in rebellion and sinful wickedness? No. To pour out your life as an offering, as a sacrificial offering to him. Look and see. We are to constantly, consistently look at the places, look to the places where God has provided our salvation. We sing, here I raise my Ebenezer. Do you know what an Ebenezer is? When you hear Ebenezer, who do you always think? Scrooge. And Ebenezer is a place of remembrance in response to the deliverance of God. When Israel crossed over the Jordan, they haven't done that yet. They stopped and they took 12 stones and they piled them right there. A little monument to the faithfulness of God that God brought Israel safe across the Jordan. When we bought this building, we had a, I'm struggling, building dedication service. I couldn't remember the language. Why do we do that? Because we were marking that moment as a moment of God's provision for us. And then we can look back and we can see what God has done. This is the beauty of history. And this is why when we reduce history only to dates, you know, just let's memorize what year something happened. We miss the beauty of history. Because all of it is God's romance with his people. It is a historical engagement of divine love for a people whom he has made. And so we are to constantly look at those places. We look at the Red Sea. We look at the manna. Israel was looking at the clean water, the pure water that came from the bitter wells. And Christ brought water from the rock when he delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. When they marched around Jericho, that's a story you tell your children. Wow. Turn the volume down, guys. All of these stories, and this is how they would tell them. A living history. Living textbooks of God's marvelous deeds. And this is how history was passed down for centuries, ever before men began to write it. And what is that greatest act in the history of God's redeeming love of his people that we can look to and say, now that, that marks God's love. That reminds me. It's Christ and the cross. Which is why the heart of the gospel isn't your testimony. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Our testimonies bear witness to the Ebenezer's of God in time past, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the discipline that brings forth obedience. Spouses, you may know this. The more in love you are with your spouse, the easier it is to do the dishes, right? It's not hard at all. It's not hard at all. It's easy to do the hard things when you are in love. 
It's easy to do the hard things when you have a perspective of affection that makes everything feel just better. You know what I mean? The rose-colored glasses you get, you fall in love, especially as you get older, you teenagers, you find someone that captures your affections, and then all of a sudden you're transformed into this person that is willing to try some hard things. And your parents are looking at you going, where'd that discipline come from? And it's because they love They have affection. And at the heart of all affection, at the heart of all spiritual affection, is looking to the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit first to us. And we are in awe of it. Our minds and our hearts are flabbergasted by it. And as we are conformed and transformed by that love, obedience, discipline, becomes this exercise of delight. And that leads me to my second point. And it is this point of keeping the covenant. And so Moses says to Israel, in light of all these things that are yours, go in and take the land. Go in and take the land. Do you know what makes a young man's heart brave? Defending the damsel in distress. What makes Israel brave? What is it? Defending the honor and glory of their Lord. And if they are not consumed with the honor and glory of their God, they will go into the land and they will become bewitched by the allurements of the false gods. And unless they maintain the discipline of delighting in the Lord, they will be led astray, they will become deceived. Now, what is deception here? The Lord says, do not be deceived. Do not be led astray, verse 16. Take care, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Why does that happen? Because you feel like the the table that those gods set is a finer table than the table that God himself, Yahweh, sets. And you find yourself consuming the goods of foreign gods. And I'm not speaking of physical things. I'm talking about the spiritual, the emotional allurements of false gods. And the reason why you sin is because you want what they have to offer more than what God has to offer. You're rebelling, you're a rebel. And Moses is saying right before that verse, take care, he's saying the land that God is leading you into is better than the land of Egypt. But imagine being an Egyptian or living in Egypt. In fact, we don't have to imagine very hard. Our mission at Reformation OPC is to deliver you out of this world that is passing away. And what are the things that belong to the world that is passing away? A cheap view of sex, and an, a, a, a unbalanced view of wealth, a narcissistic view of power and control. And you have all of these things and they're constantly saying, oh, they're easy. They're easy to get. They're right there for the taking. And we're saying, no, 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 no. Come out of there. Be delivered from all of that. Leave that life behind. 
And it's not a one-step process, is it? You just leave and then you're done. No. You leave the doors of this church where perhaps the temptations are less. And you go out into the world. You turn on your computer. You get in the car. You go to work. You do all of these things. And all of a sudden, you hear that voice. Perhaps it's coming from without. And all of a sudden, it begins to harmonize with that little part in your body that says, Oh, I, I remember that. I remember the cucumbers of Egypt, the melons, and all of that sweet produce. And God is saying, what I have is better. But do you know what? It's a harder thing to acquire. Righteous pleasure comes, it seems, more slowly. Because it never comes on our terms, does it? It comes on God's terms. And we want things right now. No, I wanted it 30 minutes ago. We are literally running headlong into destruction when we sin. Because we can't get there fast enough. And God is saying to Israel, the only way to combat that is if you are enamored. If you have affection. If you with all your heart... Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And the way that we do that, here it is, is you take God's words and you put them in your heart where they belong. Now, how do you do that? I have hidden God's word in my heart that I may not sin against him. How did, what is the process of taking the words of God, his law, and the revelation of Christ, and the manifestation of that that leads to salvation by the work of the Holy Spirit, how does it get in your heart? Now, children, I'm not talking about your physical beating heart. I'm talking about the heart of all that you are, everything you are, the center of all affection and devotion. Well, you open God's word, you encounter the true and living God, and you ask, Lord, make me your disciple. Conquer me. Conquer me. And God says, okay, you got 85 years? Because that's how long you're going to work on this. Or whatever time God gives you. But the exercise is, Lord, may it not just be words on a page, but may it be the very substance, the sum and substance of who I am as a person. Verse 18, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. This is a repetition, isn't it? You are to engrave them on everything. Everywhere you go is to be touched it should be tainted. It should be covered with the sanctifying power and glory of God. Your homes, your hearts, everything you do has Jesus all over it. <clears throat> and when you do this, God says to his people, everywhere you go, it becomes your possession. This is a blessing for the church. If the church is an institution that is filled with people who have given their hearts to the Lord, then in our march in the kingdom towards glory, 
We are taking back land that belonged to Satan bit by bit, bit by bit. Remember in the book of Deuteronomy, just two chapters prior, little by little, little by little, wherever we step, God says to Israel and to the church today, it's yours. It's your possession. But what disobedience to God is, in fact, is to relinquish that benefit, that blessing, that promise, that hope. You're saying, I don't want that inheritance. Can you imagine? Your parents come to you and say, oh, by the way, we never told you we're filthy rich. And we want to give you an inheritance. But you have to do X. Do you know what? You probably still wouldn't do it, would you? That money didn't seem real. How are the future promises of God, how are they manifested truly now? That's the question. How do you know that when you die, you go to heaven? How do you know there is a heaven? How do you know that some other guy doesn't have the corner market on truth? Because Christ has been revealed to all flesh. Christ died in the presence of men. Christ Christ was raised. Christ is coming again. You must cling to the promises of God. You must read the stories that are no myth or fiction. But by the work of the Spirit confirming them to me, yes, these are true. We hold fast to Christ because the promise is of a glorious kingdom. And so Moses lays before Israel a fork in the road. In light of all these things that I have said, we come to verse 26. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. It's that simple. It's that simple. Oh, how we overcomplicate things. You know why we overcomplicate things? Because we don't want this to be the way it really is. Because this is what we would write if we wrote Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. It's not really mm, obedience that leads to God's blessing. In fact, let me do this. God, I'm going to write a list of commandments that I think I can keep and still be blessed. I'm going to hold off on some of these other things I don't like. I'm going to write this law right here. But I still want you to bless me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, it's a sort of postmodern approach to religious life. I'm really good at not stealing people's stuff, but I'm really bad at, um, at lust. So, you know, I'll take one, leave the other. We piecemeal the law, don't we? Why do we do that? Because we love our sin. And we don't want to give up those things that would ultimately lead to our cursing if we do not let go of them. However imperfectly. In fact, this is where the altar and the tablets come together. The only difference between a believer and an unbeliever is what? The grace of God manifested in their life. The blood of Christ applied to them that frees them from all their sins. We both still sin, right? What's the difference between a Christian home and a non-Christian home? 
The people are the same, aren't they? They're broken. They're sinful. Children rebel. Husbands yell. Wives undermine. There's all these particular sins that are part and parcel of the way we're made. I mean, if you were to come to our house, sometimes you'd say, whoa, don't come to that house right now. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are those times where the door is closed. And the things that happen in a Christian home and a non-Christian home are the exact same. What's the difference? When we are confronted with our sins, we plead the mercy of Christ and we say, I am a sinner and I am undone. Which is itself obedience. To embrace Christ for your sins is itself not a meritorious work, but a work that issues forth from a heart that is already transformed by grace. And the alternative is what? It is to reject the land that is better than Egypt. It is to reject the new heavens and the new earth. And so Moses says to Israel, do you want what's best? Do you wish for it? then embrace Christ's means of getting there, the altar and the tablets. Be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. Be careful. Do not reject that great salvation.